This is Think Retail, a podcast where top designers, strategists, thought leaders, and business people discuss what's coming next. Hi, I'm Melinda and you're listening to Think Retail. Trends come and some go while others mark permanent industry shifts. It can be hard to figure out when to invest in a new idea and when to walk away. Today I'm speaking to Janet Graber, Director of the Retail Design Institute, and Susan Retta, VP of Education Strategies from the National Retail Federation about what's hot now and what has legs. Janet and Susan, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, Can I get each of you to tell us a little bit about yourself? Maybe Janet, you can start us off. Well, thanks. And it's just a delight to be here with you today and to uh, share some thoughts with your audience. The Retail Design Institute is an association. It's going to turn 60 years old in 2021. And right now I have sort of a broad brush of responsibilities for the association. And I'm actually turning a lot of attention to that 60th anniversary. It's really a lot of fun to look back in our archives and to see where we've come from. We were founded as the Institute of Store Planners And that was with the uh, aegis of the American Institute of Architects. And so we've traced our history back there. And we're looking forward again to not only looking at our past, but looking at the future of retail. Excellent. Um, Susan, how about you? Hi, thanks for having me as well. Um, I am a member of the Retail Design Institute, but uh, my day job is <laughs> with the National Retail Federation, where I'm um, a vice president of education. And for many years, I have run the National Retail Federation's publication known as Stores Magazine. Um, so I spend my days immersed in all things retail and thinking about how to tell retail's story from um, various conferences and NRF events. Excellent. Well, I I wanted to sort of start off with a really, um, you know, common topic and and that's in recent years, you know, we've gone from hearing bricks and mortar retails dead and now we're seeing a retail renaissance where digital first brands are trying to get into bricks and mortar. Where do you think we see the relationship between digital and physical retail going in the years ahead? Well, I'll start off if that's okay. I mean, I think it's entirely possible for these for both physical and digital to sort of peacefully coexist. Oh, let's be honest, um, the, in the, that space, we've seen um, the direct-to-consumer retailers looking to physical retail for the opportunity to make an emotional connection with people right in front of them. Yeah. Um, I can remember, oh gosh, it, you know, when, when Everlane, which is such an incredible direct-to-consumer brand, when they first started, um, the CEO was just kind of, you know, shaking his head, absolutely will not do uh, physical retail. It's not for us. And lo and behold, they now have a handful of stores and the stores are doing great and people just love to get in there and touch and feel. And, you know, shopping is a social activity. People just, um, they, they enjoy that. So even though we we have a generation now, several generations that have grown up shopping online. They still like to get out there and see the product in person. So I, I look forward to seeing how the two will continue to blend. Um, I think it's really going to be very transparent to consumers. Janet, what do you think? Oh, totally agree with Susan. And yet from the perspective of our member, 
I do know that there are firms that are looking to reach out to marketing organizations and maybe they're going to do some collaborations because they're trying to understand how the physical and the digital are going to come together. So I see a lot of collaboration there. So we're bringing in some new um, expertise. And I do know of one of our members, uh, the firm that he runs has just hired a digital expert. And I think we're gonna see a lot more crossing over. I, I think we're gonna see a lot of experimentation, both online and in-store, just to figure out a couple of things that I bet we're gonna be talking about as we go in through this interview. But it's, it really does have to do with what is the, the best blend as our consumers are getting older and this new, as Susan mentioned, a, a digitally native consumer is coming up and uh, is becoming quite important. Absolutely. So if we were going to look at formats that are doing really well, what are the top performers right now? Well, I'm particularly fascinated with food. Okay. And I see food as fashion, and I also see it as something that's essential. So when I look at some of the formats that are blending, morphing, and becoming all kinds of things to all kinds of people, I, I first start with a grocer, and I look at a traditional grocer. I'm here in Cincinnati, home base of Kroger, and I'm looking at what they're doing with um, expanding formats, contracting formats, Again, this whole right-sizing. And then I see somewhere from the, the mass uh, merchant trying to add food or convenience to their mix. Go take a look at a Home Depot. When you first walk in, you wonder like, what are you selling here? Um, and I'm gonna get around to the point that I think that there are a lot of formats doing well, but I think they're trying to figure it out and I think they're trying to be as convenient to their core customer as absolutely possible. Susan, what about you? What are your thoughts on that? You know, I think um, personally, I am, I'm really smitten by stores that invite me to experience a product in a different way. So um, while I can't always fit into everything that Lululemon sells, do love their stores and do love the opportunity to participate in a class and to sort of immerse myself in the brand and what it represents. I look at Nike's House of Innovation um, here in New York, I'm based in the, the New York area, just an invitation to, to blend physical and digital, to play, to touch, look at another direct-to-consumer retailer like Casper, where you can actually go in and nap um, so you get to buy the product and you get to nap at the same time. So um, I, I think about those things because I think if you engage me, I am going to grow closer to your brand. And hopefully by, you know, by growing closer to your brand, I spend more money with you. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned, uh, you're talking about, Janet, I think mentioning department stores. There's been a lot of shifting around in that world. Who have been the winners and why? Maybe Janet, you want to start us off on that? Well, I'll just take it from some of the headlines that I'm reading. And I see Macy's, also based here in Cincinnati, uh, doing a lot of experimentation. Um, I noticed that um, what we call mass or in the case of Target, mass with class, 
um, they're actually going around their stores and they are creating departments and distinct and uh, areas where they're doing what department stores used to do with lots of vignetting, lots of inspirational and aspirational displays where people could really see the product, immerse themselves, even if it's in, you know, a hundred square feet or 50 square feet, they're actually getting a sense of, of uh, what's on offer. And I say that because uh, this boutiquing you know, we've seen it in the supermarket. We, we know about it in department stores. Uh, it's just a way to be different, to show what you have that's different from your competitors. And that gets us back into these uh, collaborations with celebrities and other influencers. But the department store is a tough format, but it's not going away. I don't think it's ever going to go away. I think it's going to morph. I just think the whole uh, department store mindset of trying to be a, a lot of things to a lot of people is it, it's time isn't yet up. They're still convenient and they still have a lot of point of view. And I think that's what uh, our customers are, are looking for today. They still want that store to be an editor and they want them to pull together maybe the best of the best or, uh, the things that's right for them, that customer. Now you also mentioned big box operators. I think that we're seeing a bit of an evolution on the big box. And again, people, it, it forces those retailers to think differently about their footprint. You know, I, I just saw the reopening of H.H. Gregg who had closed a whole slew of stores, but is now opening in a smaller footprint in an attempt to think the way the customer's thinking. You know, the one thing we hear from consumers over and over is this, I'm time pressed. And how are you going to make it easier for me to get in and out and get what I want? So I think you have to think about the footprint of the store and about maybe the way product is merchandised so that the, the most sought after product is up front and the, the items that you wanna spend time with a sales associate learning more about merchandise a little further back. Um, again, I, I still think that these various concepts have legs. Um, Costco continues to be a tremendous out, you know, performer for retail and look at the size of those stores. So if it's right, it's right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my husband is a huge fan of Costco. So <laughs> Uh, yeah. Um, so what about the mall? Are we still going to the mall? And, and if we are, what kind of retailers are really doing well there? You know, I can tell you what's been happening in a, you know, a medium market such as Cincinnati. And I think it's true across the country. You know, our top producing mall is a super regional. And it has some of the expected players that you might, uh, you know, read the tenant list and expect to see. Uh, but it's missing a Gap store. They closed that Gap store. And the Gap store is now in a more um, open air shopping, uh, sort of a, I wouldn't call it a super regional strip center, but it is more of a lifestyle center. So I think we're, we're sort of watching that retenanting of the mall. And then we're also looking at the repurposing of malls if they're not being torn down entirely. 
Columbus, Ohio had a lot of just regular old malls with, you know, a Lazarus anchor and a Sears anchor, that sort of old timey, um, let's put the, uh, the two anchors on the end and everything else will benefit. Mm -hmm. And now it's not that way at all. I mean, we're seeing that um, an REI can anchor a center, a lifestyle center, or it can be anchored by a whole food. So the whole concept of what is a mall is it's like every store is going through sort of a, an analysis. Um, they're having to rationalize who should be there. But then I noticed too that our anthropology store moved from that regional or that um, neighborhood lifestyle center and went up to the super regional where they tell me their business is much better. So I just see a lot of rationalization happening. There's the, the need for fewer stores per retail group is, is, is pretty well written. And now it comes down to well, where is your customer and where will you find them? And what is your store going to morph into the ones you have left? Will they be, as Susan said, a place that I can come in and engage and learn? I mean, I'm really very much a believer that the stores, all stores will morph to include more service and education. And then we get from the education, inspiration and aspiration. But as far as like driving up to a mall and saying, I think I'll spend a half a day here. I see more people just drive up, get closest to the door where their store is and treat a mall just like a strip center. Right. Susan, what about you? What are your thoughts on malls? Yeah, I, I think they continue to have relevance as long as they continue to think about today's customer. Um, and, and much of that is embodied in what Janet shared. Um, I, I think that, again, as you think about replacing some of the anchors that had, had big footprints, you know, is it going to be a store that encourages um, engagement, that delivers entertainment, that feeds the need by way of food for you to drive up, do some food shopping, and then remember, oh, I need a birthday present, just hop right in and get what you need. I think that there's a lot of evolutionary thinking about malls. And, and so, I mean, there are a couple of things that are coming up now, which suggests to me that people are spending a lot of brain power on what is next. So next month in New Jersey, we will see the opening of the American Dream Mall. The first, uh, the version's not the right word, but the first grouping of stores and the first grouping of entertainment um, situations inside that mall will open late October. And so they're going to have the, an indoor ski, ski slope. They're going to have, um, I believe, an ice skating rink. They're going to have a water park along with lots of retail. Yeah. They are expecting this to be a place where somebody comes and spends the day and there will be childcare and there will be incredible eateries and there will be koi ponds. Um, you know, will it work? Well, that all remains to be seen. But it, it's, it says to me that there's a lot of mental energy going into what's next. 
So if we were to move over to design trends, um, maybe Janet, you can start us off by talking about some overall emerging trends that you've noticed in terms of retail design. You know, we, we see an awful lot of innovation come out of brands like Nike or like Apple, and they are pace setters for a variety of reasons, and they have what would seem to be almost bottomless uh, budget. So what, what are some takeaways? And that's, um, you know, they may show us what the colors are or how to lay something out, but increasingly stores just need to be flexible. They need to be able to accommodate, you know, uh, different amounts of merchandise or special events or a pop-up or, you know, in the case of someone like Lululemon, um, you know, there's going to be a class any retailer can look at these flagship stores and take away uh, either a materials palette and and use that palette or uh, modify that palette. Um, the other thing I notice is this hyper localization, and that's really pretty exciting because stores are no longer really cookie cutter. Yes, they're very similar, but they do seem to reflect the community where they're based. And I see that when we put our uh, call for entries out for our annual design competition, and it's fun to sort of look at all of the class. That's what we like to call it. Uh, so we'll be inviting the class of 2019 to make their entries. And we'll have sort of a look at what could be considered a trend. And I do see a lot of natural materials, depending upon the retailer and their location. We had a lot entered last year from the Pacific Northwest, and the vibe is very different from what you might see in the Midwest. Our entries from Canada are very, very sleek and refined. They use a lot of natural materials, but a chain organization might use you know, more laminate, or they may use more hardworking materials that sort of suggests the locale or their, their roots, if you will. So I see an awful lot of trends that are um, sort of coexisting. And, and the minute you say, well, everyone should have a white box, somebody comes out with a black box. So I would say that the trend is localization. I would say that it is um, making the stores reflect the level of flexibility for customization. And then you've got to have an Instagrammable moment. So we see a lot of stores that have something iconic where the uh, customer will come in and want to get their photo taken and post that to their social platforms. So lots of things happening out there, but I would say flexibility. And then also I see more actual display and that's not a bad word, visual merchandising, helping customers understand, again, the offer, how to use it, and creating spaces where we can actually test product. That was particularly true with the Luxiton store on Fifth Avenue that opened with a great deal of fanfare and hands-on, experiential. It was uh, meant to be a highly flexible space so they could bring in all kinds of you know special events so um big signature statements materials that tell your story and the opportunity for lots of customer engagement i i would say are the trends susan have you got anything that you would add to janet's list 
Not a lot. Jenna was super comprehensive. On it that. was pretty comprehensive. <laughs> I mean, I think she's absolutely right. You know, green is the new black. I, you know, although black was never a, a, a design color, but but everything about sustainable and about telling the story of being sustainable and, and your carbon footprint, these things matter to consumers now, we're told over and over again. Um, the, the word that I hear from everybody now is wellness. So if that theme is somehow conveyed in design, um, you know, in a few places we've seen a wall of greenery, a plant wall, however we're gonna, you know, I, I, that just sets a stage for who that retailer is and what's important to them. You know, in terms of like the actual, just the mechanics of it, I, I'm keeping a close eye on Amazon Go um, and the technology that, that is used there to enable the consumer to, to get in and out quickly um, while Amazon Go stores are not all over the place there are so many startups who have a version of that technology that they're looking to deploy and test and I think retailers continue to be interested in that because again we are just so time constrained that it it seems like a good thing, but it's really difficult to make it work. Um, and finally, I, I look at someone like a Bonobos, um, which again, they don't have a ton of stores, um, but their stores are used kind of like a showroom. So you go in there and you make your purchase, but it's sent to you at home. And I forgive my New York mindset again, but what, when you go into a Bonobo store and you try on a couple of items, well, not me, I've done this with my adult son. So I can, this is what I'm going to attest to. <laughs> so he'll try on a few items and because he's got, he got there by way of a city bike, he has no desire to have a shopping bag with his purchases in it. He's only too happy to have them say, it'll be on your doorstep tomorrow morning and he's on to the next thing. You know, I, my husband would be like, but I just bought that. What do you mean I can't take it home? <laughs> but, but the mindset is different. And, and retailers who think about how young people want to make purchases and that they're okay with that. Yeah, it's fine. Just send it to me. Thanks. Bye-bye. <laughs> yeah. If you were to think about the year ahead, I if each of you could tell me about one um, either retail concept or format or one brand that you're really excited to see what they're going to be doing in the coming year, what would it be? We did discuss wellness, green, sustainable, and cannabis uh, when we were sidebarring. And I just would say that I see interesting pairings all the time. Some of this is not new, but it's coffee and bikes. Uh, it's barber and menswear. I think maybe that thing that we're all waiting for is still out there on the horizon. It doesn't mean that there aren't some fun things being done and that there aren't some innovations, but I do look to specialty one-offs. I look at independent stores. For me, I am sitting in a city that is having a renaissance in its central business district as well as some of the um, streets that were once occupied by the German settlers of this city. It's where Kroger chose to put its newest urban concept of a, 
of a grocery store and it replaces the store that was a couple of blocks over. It's their first store downtown in the downtown area in 60 years. Wow. So we're really excited to see. Again, you know, I, I'm, I'm all about food and fashion and I agree with Susan with wellness. I, I, I love to see what the uh, urban areas in all of these secondary cities, second kind of second tier cities are doing because they're all celebrating their downtowns. We know when all of those independents come together and even with an anchor, so to speak, of a Kroger store, we just know there's gonna be a lot of innovation and we're gonna, like New York City is with all of its independents. These are places for large brands, ind other independents and large brands to go to school because there's a lot of, of uh, really great thinking in that specialty store independent owned market. Absolutely. I'm also a big fan of the, the indie store, even one, the one that's in your neighborhood that you, know, you might not otherwise have known about, but is doing something really unique is always a lot of fun. Um, Susan, what about you? Is there something that you are looking forward to in the coming year? Well, my crystal ball is a little cloudy right now. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> you know, I, I think um, there, is, there are a couple of concepts that I will always watch for innovation, one of them being Sephora. I just think that there's always something around the corner with Sephora. They are just really incredible about the way they think about retail. Um, there is one, one emerging company that I'm watching. Um, so if you, if you make a trip to the city, and excuse me, if you make a trip to New York, visit Camp. Camp okay. NYC is based in the Flatiron Building. And it's a children's concept, but it's, it's set up kind of like a, a, an exploration. You, the kids go there and they can enter through the magic wall that suddenly opens up and they trek through a campsite and they explore and do different things. And then they have an opportunity to do crafts. And there is an area where you can, um, there's a, a partnership with Momofuku and their milk concept. So there's desserts and coffee and there is, of course, a retail store associated with this where they have some very unique children's items and toys. And again, it blends that retail entertainment, retail engagement. Moms and dads are in love with this here in New York. And as a result, they do have a couple of stores set to open outside of the New York area. I know one is in Texas, forgive me. The other one has also been announced, but I'm not sure where it is. And there's a lot of folks just keeping an eye on it because it's so different. And we haven't had that kind of energy in the children's space in a little while. Uh, and so there's a whole slew of parents who miss Jeffrey. Let's face it, we miss Jeffrey. We'll see if Jeffrey's gonna make a comeback, because he might. But um, in the meantime, I, I would definitely say to check out Camp. I think they're one to watch in 2020. Excellent. Well, thank you both so much for joining us today and sharing your thoughts on what's happening in terms of design and format and concept. It was a pleasure. Janet and Susan covered a lot, so I'm going to try and summarize the trends into overarching ideas. 
One is the idea of flexibility, being able to move things around easily, quickly, being able to customize, to be local, and to experiment. Another idea they talked a lot about is the idea of hands-on experiences that go deeper than a traditional store like Camp or the American Dream Mall. They also talked a lot about storytelling either through merchandising, showrooms, aspirational displays, iconic imagery, not as a new trend, but one that's re-emerging. And lastly, they talked about the time-pressed consumer and figuring out how to meet them where they want to be. Four very relevant themes, flexibility, hands-on experiences, storytelling, and time-pressed consumers. Four great topics for future podcasts, I think. So thanks to Janet and Susan for that. Did they miss any key trends? We would love to hear your ideas as well. So please feel free to comment on our podcast page at SLD. And thanks for listening. For more information about Think Retail, you can reach us at info at sld.com. For more episodes, visit us online at sld.com slash podcast. Next time, we speak with Jordan and Tamara Mimran from Alfred Sung about the rise of made-for-you clothing. We hope you'll join us.